Matthew chapter number 26. Verse number 36 is where we'll start. Matthew 26, 36. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and said unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. And they, then said he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little farther, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest ye enter not into watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went again the second time and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. Came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were very heavy. And he said unto them, sorry, and he left them and went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples, and saith unto them, Sleep on now, and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came with him in great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Before you take uh, certain medical tests and for certain intestinal issues, the doctor will prescribe to you magnesium hydroxide. I don't know if you've ever had to drink any of that stuff. It comes in a small glass bottle that looks like an old-fashioned pop bottle. It has a couple of flavors. <laughs> it is clear, and it's about 8 or 10 ounces. I don't know about you, but that stuff is impossible for me to drink. I get down the first swallow okay. The second swallow, I gag down. And from there on, I'm done. <laughs> My mind knows that it needs to drink this stuff. I can get my hand to pick up the glass, but my mouth will not open. <laughs> my tongue will not comply, and my throat will not swallow it. Try as I might, I cannot get myself to swallow the rest of it. And generally, I just pour it down the drain. <laughs> I'm guessing that most of you or many of you here have experienced this same thing. You just cannot get yourself to drink what is in the cup. Now in this passage of scripture, the Lord and his disciples have just finished the Last Supper. They have gone to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. The Lord leaves the disciples and goes off to pray by himself. 
And what he prays is, O Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. The second time he prays, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he actually prays this exact same prayer a third time. You know, obviously the Lord is not talking about some cup of medicine or liquid that he's being asked to drink. What he is referring to is the events that he must go through in the next little while. He is not, by the way, figuratively speaking, just grabbing the cup and gulping it down. But he is asking the Father, if there is any other way, let's take that route. Not my will, but thine be done. He is struggling to prepare for what lies ahead. Struggling to drink the cup that is set before him. Now the question that we want to answer this morning. What was in that cup? That's the, the title of this morning's message is simply the cup. What was in that cup that the Lord Jesus was struggling to drink? Let's pray. Father, we come to you needing your spirit to teach us. Father, from things of this earth, we can understand spiritual truth, and we ask that you would help us to understand what we need to understand this morning. We ask that your spirit would lead us, and I ask, Father, that you would meet the need of each heart here today. I ask that you would meet the needs of those watching the live stream. I ask that without exception, Father, you would do a work worthy of your own name in each heart and in each life. We can ask these things because the Lord Jesus already purchased it. And so in his name, we come and ask. And we thank you for what you're going to do. And we ask this in the precious name of our Savior. Amen. Before we start this morning, I have to give you a word of caution. Often when we think of the work of the Lord Jesus... We think of him as God. Now, he is and always has been fully God. Make no mistake about that. Jesus Christ is and always has been fully God. But we tend to dis disassociate what he went through. We disassociate that from our own personal experience because he's God. And so in our mind, we think he's God. And so we disassociate what he went through we disassociate that from what we have gone through. But Jesus Christ was at the very same time fully man. He was fully God and he was fully man. And he experienced life as a man. So we cannot think of the events of his life in terms of God, but in terms of how we would experience them ourselves. We sometimes just pass it off like, well, he was God and so no big deal. 
If we had to experience that, that would be really difficult, but he was God, so it's no big deal. We cannot do that because he was fully man. But at the same time, we have to exercise caution because it's often difficult to draw the difference between our humanity and our sinful flesh. You say, what do you mean by that? What is the line between tiredness and laziness? There is a line there, right? But sometimes it's kind of blurry on which is I'm tired and I'm lazy. It's kind of difficult to, to draw the line. What is the line between satisfying hunger and gluttony? You say, that's a little difficult to really quantify. Tiredness, thirst, hunger are all sinless infirmities. They're sinless parts of humanity. But it is very easy for us to slip over the line into sinfulness in dealing with those infirmities. Do you understand what I'm saying here? So when we are thinking about the humanity of Christ in dealing with this, he was fully man and experienced life as a human, we must not let ourselves slip across the line. He had humanity. He did not have the sinful nature. And we cannot allow ourselves to slip across that line. Do you understand what I'm saying here? We must be cautious that we do not attribute to Jesus Christ our own sinfulness when we're talking about the infirmities of humanity. So you must keep your mind thinking. This is the caution we have to get ourselves into. We're thinking about Jesus Christ and how he, his life here on the earth in a human body but we must not allow ourselves to add sin into it. What was in the cup that the Lord was hesitant to drink? Number one, the cup contained physical suffering. The cup contained physical suffering. I don't want to be flippant or irreverent here. You know my thoughts on all of this. I would not do that. But I need you to understand the struggle that was taking place. So let me use this illustration. If I gave you a hammer and I said I will give you 25 cents if you will smash your thumb with that hammer, would you do that? You say not in... Not on your life, how would I do that? If I kept increasing the number, eventually I would get to a number where you would say, okay, for a million dollars, would you smash your thumb? And you'd say, yeah, I think I'll do that. After you took that hammer, can you imagine the difficulty of taking that hammer and smashing your own thumb with it? Now, we do that accidentally, regularly, but intentionally, we just don't do that. Once you flattened your thumb, if I said, okay, now I'll give you some more money if you flatten each finger that you flatten, could you get yourself, how many fingers could you get to before you, your body just won't do it anymore? Do you understand what I'm saying? You might convince yourself to smash that first one for some money, but the pain of that... You'd say, I'd, pretty soon your arm just wouldn't do it. 
your mind would just drop the hammer. You say, I cannot do that anymore. There is a limitation. There is a... Nobody in their right mind hurts themselves intentionally. What does the cup contain that the Lord Jesus is being asked to drink? Well, the answer to that is in part extreme physical suffering. As much as you would shrink back from smashing your finger with a hammer, far more than that is what is in the cup that the Lord is going to be asked to drink. It will start by the rough handling in the garden by the mob. After that, there will be beatings. After that, will be blindsided punches to the face. They will pluck his beard out. A professional soldier will take a whip called a cat of nine tails and whip him on his back. The psalmist has already predicted, prophesied what this will be like. The, pro the psalmist said, the plowers did plow upon my back. This is the beating that the Lord Jesus is going to take. A crown of needle-sharp thorns will be smashed into his head and then beat upon with a stick. On that raw, bleeding back, a heavy cross will be laid. And his body will be so weak that it will collapse underneath the strain. There will be a long march through the streets of Golgotha to the place of the skull. He will be laid on that raw back. That torn and bleeding back on that rough, rugged cross. His hands and feet will be nailed through fastening him to that cross. He will be dropped in that position into a hole to make the cross upright. He will hang there for hours, gasping for breath. The thirst from the loss of blood will be absolutely maddening. All of this is in the cup that the Lord Jesus is being asked to drink. This is what he, according to Hebrews 12, 2, endured. He endured the cross. As he's in the garden, this is what he's facing. Extreme physical suffering. But this is not all that's in the cup. Number two, there is emotional suffering. There is emotional suffering in that cup. Let's be perfectly clear here. We are not qualified and probably not even able to speak on this accurately. We cannot probably even understand what it means. Let me tell you why. When Jesus came, John tells us 
He was full of grace and truth. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Later on, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ lives in truth and justice. Okay, I, we have a tough time getting our, our mind to wrap around that. Now, how does a person who is defined by truth and justice, how does that person feel? What do they experience when a travesty of justice is taking place? If they love, absolutely love truth and justice, what does that do to them when lies are being told? When, per, when perjury is being suborned? When truth is being covered? When justice is being denied? When laws are being broken? When authority is being used for personal gain? What does that do for a person emotionally who loves truth and justice. We are not truly able to judge this kind of suffering because, quite frankly, we're not that attached to truth and justice. Generally, we judge violations of truth and justice by how it affects us, not how it affects anybody else. We aren't really concerned about violations of those kinds. My friend, that's selfishness. And Jesus Christ did not have any of that. So it's very difficult for us to judge the emotional suffering that takes place because we're not that connected with truth and justice. And we have selfishness. Christ is absolutely connected with truth and justice and has no selfishness. But we know we cannot judge and gauge really the emotional suffering of the Lord Jesus but we can know for sure that this suffering was immense the cup contained physical suffering it contained emotional suffering this cup contained the suffering of his loved ones it contained the suffering of his loved ones don't just pass over this Suppose you were given a decision today that you had to make by 4 o'clock. And if you make this decision correctly, everybody that you know is going to suffer. Your folks are going to suffer. Your wife is, or husband is going to suffer. Your children are going to suffer. And every single one of your friends who've been close with you are going to suffer from this decision. Now tell me the pressure of that. Tell me the difficulty of that. Would you just, oh, I don't care. Make the decision at 4 o'clock. I don't care. You know you would not do that. Many people would not even make the right decision. They would just say, look, I'm not doing that. That's going to affect too many people. Even though it's the right thing to do, it's going to affect too many people. And I'm not doing that. But if you did make the right decision, think about what your heart would feel all the way between now and 4 o'clock when you made it, and then all the time after that as you watched the suffering of the people around you for the decision that you made. This is in the cup. For the Lord Jesus hanging on the cross is going to see his mother there and see all of his friends there suffering at this time, watching him suffer and all of the other suffering. And yea, a sword will pierce through thine own side heart also is the prediction for Mary in this. 
And the cup that is contained here that, is ha that he's being asked to drink has the suffering of his loved ones in it. It's got physical suffering and emotional suffering and suffering for the loved ones. Number four, the cup contains shame. The, the cup that he's being asked to drink contains shame. We could approach this from several aspects. Let's look at it from two aspects here. It is not reasonable to assume that the Romans, who were pretty much devoid of morality and who were, had no mercy whatsoever, would be really concerned about their victims. They are brutally murdering a convict and making it as difficult as possible on them. That's what they're doing. So we have no, it would not be reasonable to assume that modesty and propriety would be a major concern of theirs. Now ask yourself, what did that do to someone who modesty and propriety would have been the fabric of their existence? This would be a very difficult thing. But more than that, think about the love that Jesus Christ has for his Father. And do you realize that in these events that he's going through, they are a catalyst for the mocking of God? Remember the words in Matthew 27. Think of the public, public ridicule. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. If he be the King of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Even the thieves got into the act and were criticizing and mocking the Lord Jesus. This event was being used to mock his father. What does Hebrews 12, 2 tell us about this? He endured the cross, despising the shame. This cup contained shame. It had physical suffering and emotional suffering and suffering of the loved ones and shame. Number five, the cup that he's being asked to drink contained death. The cup that he's asked to drink contained death. I'm 53 years old, and I have observed several things on this planet. One of the things that I observed on this planet is life wants to live. You say, that's real profound. <laughs> life wants to live. What do I mean by that? In my flower beds at home, I have these volunteer bushes that grow up. And so I take my pruning thing and I cut them off level flat with the ground. And then I put bricks on top of that spot. And you know what happens? They have every reason to die, right? I've cut them down to the ground, I've covered them with bricks, and you know what they do? They grow out and around the bricks. 
Have you ever seen a tree? It happens all the time if you go out in the woods and look. It happens all the time. A tree will get pushed over by the wind. Its root ball is 90% out of the ground. And what will that tree do? You think, just give up and die. It's not what it does. All along that trunk that's laying parallel with the ground, new shoots will come up. And new trees grow out of that thing. There's a tree. I've been watching it for probably 15 years. It's just up the road here. It's probably that big around except for it's only four inches thick. The inside of the tree died, and so it's like four inches thick all the way around like that. It's a U-shape. You could actually stand inside the tree. It must, it's a super tall tree. You think, you died on the inside? Just die. No. It wants to live. Life wants to live. And even though you have no reason to, you've fallen over, you've been chopped off, life wants to live. Have you ever seen how maimed animals, how deformed human beings can be, the difficulties they have, and they, what do they want to do? They want to live. Within us, life wants to live. Now, what do you think the Lord Jesus, in his humanity, felt like? He's, the cup that he's going to drink is death. And every fiber of his self would want to live. This is a very difficult cup. Because his life, his very life, would want to keep living. Suffering is one thing, but death is another, and the whole of a man will fight against death. And this is the cup that he's being asked to drink. It's got physical and emotional suffering, the suffering of loved ones. It's got shame. It's got death. Number six, the cup contains the filth of sin. The cup contains the filth of sin. Here again, we have almost no way of understanding this. Because sin has always been a part of our life. We don't mind it too bad. And sometimes we actually fight to hold on to it, to keep it in our life. But this is not the Lord Jesus. You have to... There's one thing that God hates. There's one thing that cannot be tolerated. There's one thing totally contrary to his nature. And that is sin. And this cup, he's being called to ask, he's being called to drink, contains sin. Not just a sin, not just the sins of a man, not just the sins of, of, that are being committed at that moment, but the sins of the entire world. How can we possibly grasp the abhorrence that this would have been to himself, to place himself in that position where sin would be put on him. I was trying to think of the best way to describe this. This will at least get you in the ballpark. If we had here a dove, a snow-white, fragile dove, and I had that dove in my hand, and here I have a bucket of either mud or used motor oil. 
and I take this dove and I submerge it in that oil and I hold it under. And when I pull it out, will it be chirping for joy? Or struggling with the vileness that now is all over it and what it's experiencing? And we start to get into the neighborhood of what this means to the Lord Jesus, who is the sinless Son of God, who is now going to have the filth of the entire world. To say he's allergic to it would be a, a, just a, not even close. He despises sin. And now he is going to be covered in it. And not just any old sin the sins of the entire world. And let your mind just run through what some of that is. And this is what he is going to be submerged in and covered in. This is the cup that he's being asked to drink. It contains the sins of the whole world. So we have physical suffering and emotional suffering and suffering of his loved ones and shame and death and the filth of sin. Number seven... The cup contains separation from his father. The cup contains separation from his father. You know, generally our worries don't run in that direction. When we have suffering of any kind, we want to know, how much is this going to hurt? How long will I have to suffer? How embarrassing will this be? But I believe the most bitter dreg in that cup was the separation from his father. This is the most bitter dreg that he's being asked to drink. From eternity past, there has been perfect unity between he and his father. While he's on the earth, he had been one with the father. The plan of salvation in that plan, there's perfect unity. Several times while he's on the earth, the Father had spoken from heaven, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But the cup that he's being asked to drink is going to alter that. The drinking of that cup would be the, initially the taking of the sins of the whole world. And that would cause him to hang cursed on a tree. In the physical agony of that hour, what will Christ cry out? He's not going to cry out, oh, I'm really hurting here. How long is this going to last? What he cries out is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The sky would turn black as God the Father turns his back on his son. And in that moment, there would be a breach in the Trinity. This is the cup he was being asked to drink. It contained physical suffering, emotional suffering, the suffering of his loved ones. It contained shame and death and the filth of sin and separation from his father. In the garden as he's praying... Every fiber of his humanity would be fighting against the drinking of this cup. 
But what the Lord Jesus says is, not my will, but thine be done. I think it's very interesting. Later in the garden, when Judas comes with the mob, Peter pulls out the sword and he's ready to fight. Do you remember the words of the Lord Jesus at that moment when Peter's got his sword out? The Lord Jesus says, put up thy sword into the sheath. And then he says some amazing words. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? And he did. Every last drop. What effect should this have on us? It's not merely just history, you know. It should have a lot of effects. Let's just cover two and we're out the door. Christ drinking the cup that he was asked to drink should have two, two effects on us. One, it should cause deep gratitude in our hearts. It should cause deep gratitude in our heart. You do realize that the cup that he was asked to drink was your cup? You do realize that, right? It was your sin. It was your cup. All the dregs that were in that cup were yours to drink. If the Lord Jesus did not drink it, then you have to. But because he drank it, you don't have to. If you're here this morning without the Lord, can you not see what he has done for you? Will you not take him as your Savior? He drunk that cup. He suffered your death. He satisfied the law of God for you. He offers that freely. You don't have to drink that cup because he already did. If you're here this morning and you know the Lord Jesus, can you not rejoice in him? Does not your heart burn with gratitude? Can you not see what she has averted in your life you do not have to drink these things because the Lord Jesus already did that for you can that not does that not cause your heart to rejoice will you not look at, the, at Christ with a tear stained cheek and thank him for drinking your cup for doing what he has done for you. Praise and worship and gratitude should be an automatic reaction when you understand the cup that Christ drank in your place. But it should have a second effect. This cup that the Lord Jesus drank ought to remind you that you also have a cup to drink. 
that cup is not filled with the same bitter dregs because Christ has already dealt with those. But the Father does have a cup for you to drink. He has the perfect will for your life. Now surely if Christ is willing to drink the bitter dregs of that cup for you, you should be willing to drink the sweet will that the Father has for you. Doesn't that make sense in your world? If Christ were willing to drink the bitter dregs, would you not be willing, should you not be willing to drink the sweet will of the Father? The cup which your Father hath given you, shall ye not drink it? 